Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. On today's show, we are reviewing two films, a tender coming-of-age tale adapted from a book by one of America's best-loved children's authors and a moving exploration of identity that unfolds in the bars and hotels of South Korea's capital, Seoul. Joining me in the studio to provide their inimitable criticism are the film critic for The Telegraph, Tim Roby, and by the freelance writer and broadcaster, Simran Hans. Welcome, gang, to the programme. Lovely to have you here. Nice Hi. to be here. Lovely to be here. All right. I thought you were going to. Thought we were going to receive nothing. They, they're like stones, ladies and gentlemen. They're keeping their powder dry. Tumbleweed. For all that inimitable yeah. film criticism that we prefaced. Now, first up, Judy Bloom began writing in 1959 and has 25 novels under her belt. She became known for the unique ability of her books to reach into the bedrooms of teenage girls, take them by the hand, and stand next to them on the precipice of adulthood, providing reassurance that whatever difficult, embarrassing, or awkward experiences they're going through, they are not alone. Over 50 years after the publication of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the novel has been made for the big screen, starring Abby Ryder Fortson as Margaret and Rachel McAdams as her mother, Barbara. The film follows Margaret as she gets to grips with moving from Manhattan to the suburbs and as she negotiates her way through the obstacles of teenage girldom. Periods, boys and God all included. Let's start first with a clip then. In this scene, Rachel McAdams' character is taking Margaret to buy her first bra. Excuse me, uh, we're looking for a bra for my daughter. Hmm. Well, we don't have many that small. But come with me, dear, I'll measure you. Arms up, dear. Hmm. Barely a 28, not even a double A. Your best bet is gonna be to go with one of these grow bras here. So one day when you do grow, it'll grow with you. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, we'll just go try it on. Um, oh, yeah, can I just, I'll just, yep. Here we go. This is always the tough bit. I can't even do this to this day. Okay, all right. Can I see? How's that feel? I cannot wait to take it off. Yeah. Welcome to womanhood. A little taster of Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, and starting with a suitably cringe <laughs> moments. I don't know who to don't know who to toss the ball to there quite. Tim, I'm gonna start with you. All right. So we're in familiar territory with the coming of age kind of film here. And I know you're not a super expert on the sort of sacred text of, of Judy Bloom necessarily, but what sort of gears does this film go through to tell its story of this girl moving from Manhattan to the Burbs and then becoming a young woman? Yeah, so I'm not at all up on Judy Bloom. I haven't read any of her books. But my ears did prick up with this film because of the writer-director of the film, Mm -hmm. Kelly Freeman Craig, who made The Edge of Seventeen with Hayley Steinfeld, which is, I think, a kind of modern classic of the teen coming-of-age movie in a sense, although she's obviously much later in her teens in that film. This is feels a little bit like The Edge of Twelve, this film, the way that she's kind of constructed it. Yeah. Uh, and obviously she's much younger and there are a lot more issues at play. There's puberty to go through. There's all sorts of other things going on. Mm. But I think it's she's very cleverly 
played this film to her strengths. And her strengths are pick a teenage girl protagonist and then bounce her off all the other people in her life and create dramas and crises and issues and then have them each one by one gets kind of resolved. Okay. Which is brilliant in The Edge of Seventeen. She handled it so brilliantly. And I, I like this film a lot as well, perhaps slightly less. But the other kind of touchstone for me with this film is Mean Girls. Very interesting to have Rachel McAdams playing the mum, the chief mean girl herself from the <laughs> classic 2004 yeah. teen movie, and here playing the very sweet, well-meaning mother uh, who makes life awkward for her daughter in many ways, but also just wants the best for her. And I thought that the little gaggle of four girls in their sort of secret club in this film, which is quite bitchy, and there's a book of all the boys they fancy and all this sort of stuff, was <laughs> was very redolent for me of Mean Girls. And the, the positioning of this character was very Lindsay Lohan-ish to me. So I feel as okay. though this film knows what it's doing <laughs> vis-a-vis teen movies as well as the, the sacred text, if you like. Yeah. Nice. Simran, Tim sort of set it up really nicely there. Let's talk about the some of the characters and the cast because we sort of say Rachel McAdams kind of not quite reprising well not in any way I suppose reprising but in a similar sort of setting her kind of mean girls role but what about A.B. Ryder Fortson as Margaret it's tough to cast a really young girl in such a demanding thing she has a lot to do in this film well, so one of the things that's really interesting about this film is that the kids actually look like kids. Yeah. The kids, I think they're meant to be about 11 or 11 turning 12, and they look like little girls and they act like them as well. And for me, I think Abby Ryder Fortson is really kind of likeable and innocent and she sort of carries her role in the film. But in a way, she's kind of not the most interesting character. So Margaret falls in with this crowd of girls at her new school and the leader of the pack is a sort of mini Regina George, but imagined as a 12-year-old, this um, Nancy Wheeler. She's played by Elle Graham, and I I looked up to see how old this girl is. She's only 13 now, so she must have, you know, literally been 11 when they shot this. And she is hilarious. It's a brilliant comic performance. She's so bitchy, she's so bratty, she's self-righteous, and she kind of encourages Margaret to really play by the rules that she has invented. And if, you know, Margaret deviates, if she wears her penny loafers with socks, she's at the club. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is kind of bra club, isn't it? You have to have a bra to be in the club. Yeah. So one of the things that the film does is that it sort of draws parallels between religion and God and all of the rules that come with that and all the rules that come with becoming a woman, right? And so Margaret very explicitly sort of learns that if she deviates from the rules there's going to be consequences in this secret club that she has been inducted into and like you said wearing a bra is part of it you have to say when you get your period um, (laughs) which obviously you know as most people familiar with biology know can vary quite dramatically (laughs) for for different people who have periods and then also they they have to tell their crush yeah they have to write down their crush and they cannot lie about it. And there's a hypocrisy there that feels uh, like something that Margaret explores when she's kind of exploring her spirituality as well. And is the God in the title? I mean, she talks to God. I mean, it's a sort of non-denominational God because stuff has been written also around this about the dad is Jewish, the mum is, is Christian, and but the God that Margaret prays to, talks to, confesses to, is sort of non-denominational. How much God is there in the film, Tim? There's sort of just enough, I think. Uh, And she hasn't decided which God it is yet, is the point, because obviously she has two parents from different faiths who are not pressuring her to make her mind up, whereas the older generation very much are. She's estranged from her maternal grandparents. This is Kathy Bates? No, no, um, her maternal grandparents, the Christian 
side basically refused to have anything to do with their daughter when she married a Jewish guy. So they, they're out of the picture until very late on they have one scene where they kind of turn up. And Kathy Bates is the Jewish mother who very much wants her to be Jewish, is so excited when she wants to come to Temple one morning and wants to sort of indoctrinate her. And because Margaret is, has been brought up to be sweet and obliging and say yes to everyone and basically make everyone happy, she kind of goes along with whatever she's being told to do, which is the same as in with her group of pals. You know, when, when the rules are being established, she's like, yes, OK, yes, 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 I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll play along. And what I quite like is that the film's journey for her which is to gradually realise, you can sense her start to roll her eyes more and more at what Nancy is telling her to do, because Nancy <laughs> is just so selfish. And she's a bit like, why am, I, why am I doing this? Why is she obstructing my progress, if you like? She goes through that, and at the same time, her mum is going through exactly the same thing with that character's mother, because Rachel McAdams is saying yes to all the committees, all the parents do. She's trying to play nice in the new neighbourhood. Yeah. They've just moved to New Jersey. She's being kind of like, yes, I'll be super, I'll be super nice mum for everyone. And then eventually she also just decides this is no good for me anymore. <laughs> and some context for that, right, is that the film is based on the book. The book was originally published in 1970, and in the movie we don't get a kind of title card telling us exactly exactly what year we are. It just kind of drops us in the 70s more ambiently. And so the, the sort of backdrop in the context is this growing momentum of the women's liberation movement, feminism, those kind of early rumblings. And I don't think that the film is overly kind of didactic about any of that. It's quite subtle. But Barbara, who's played by Rachel McAdams, she's the mum character, she's an art teacher who's given up her job to live in the suburbs of New Jersey, become a homemaker. She sort of says, I'll learn to cook. And uh, (laughs) that obviously doesn't go that well. And you have this really interesting undercurrent of ambivalence about traditional femininity, about womanhood, in quotes, which is sort of paralleled with Margaret's ambivalence about religion. It's not an ambivalence about spirituality. I think she's that quest for spiritual guidance is pretty earnest but she doesn't really feel like the the sort of restrictions of religion are that helpful in terms of the scaffolding for getting through life. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned the women's movement right right this time because the film in terms of its setting and stuff that's remind me of most was that film Call Jane that came out mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and um, Rachel McAdams' character is rather like Elizabeth Banks's character in that film in, in a way. Uh, that's the one about abortion rights and the kind of like yeah. bubbling well, up. That, and that's what, and this is a film obliquely perhaps but about women's bodies and about mm-hmm. growing up and about knowing what you're knowing how to treat your own self I suppose right so that it sort of touches absolutely on that but in a kind of but obviously in a in a funny way there was a, an editorial in Empire and Kelly Freeman Craig the director sort of said that she obviously used the sacred text the set text of Judy Bloom's novel but also went through her own sixth grade diaries and tried to kind of channel a bit of that kind of vibe as well does it feel like that I mean Simran for you does it feel like a kind of a female confessional in that way. Are you asking me how personally triggering the film was? Because no. I think... <laughs> well, I was going to ask Tim, but I think he doesn't know the kind of set text, actually. Ha- having, having grown up as a teenage girl and lived through that, yeah, some of it feels, feels very real. And I think <laughs> the thing that both Kelly Freeman Craig does, but also, I guess, Judy Bloom, because she was an exec on the project, right? And mm. just as a, a quick sidebar, I think it's interesting that she's published so many books and lots of people have wanted to adapt them and this is actually the first one, I believe, that has actually made it through the doors and and she's got a producer credit on it. Um, And what they do is they, they get into the mind of the teenage girl and they really get into the awkwardness of it. Mm. It's so embarrassing. Everything (laughs) is embarrassing. 
I think that's that's what the film does really well. Kind of the visceral cringe of it. Yeah. I mean as we as we as we kinda of got from that clip at the top of the show as well. Which is all quite eighth grade. I think if she was okay. you know, in a, in the present day that that film, eighth grade, which is all about yeah. the incredible awkwardness of being that age now in the kind of mobile phone world. Yeah. Uh, but this is pre all of that. And it is just personal enough, I think. You can feel that it's it's nicely done, it's personal and Kelly Fredman Craig has kind of yeah, blended the the text with her own experience nicely. But she's also it's quite. It's quite. I would say it's a little bit conservative in its style. This film. It's got kind of a sitcommy quality yeah. that's not especially exciting. But there are a few fun little things. There's like needle drops. There's a great moment where Son of a Preacher Man comes on yeah. uh, when they're playing Spin the Bottle, and uh, Margaret is matched with the guy in class that everyone thinks is like the really cute one, and they have to go off into. This the is two cupboard. minutes in the closet. With... Yeah, two minutes in the closet with <laughs> the cute boy who turns out to be a bit of a prat. Yeah. to be fair, but I loved Son of a Preacher Man there, which kind of put me in mind of Pulp Fiction, and you know, obviously. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, why haven't they got Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon on the soundtrack? Because that would be perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so innocent. You know, it's really sweet. It's a really cute film. And Judy Bloom's books have been banned over the years because she was so frank and so direct about all of these topics like masturbation and body hair and all of these things that people felt like she was talking about too, too frankly in her books. And this film feels very cute. It's very pg you yeah. know, Tim, you were saying conservative. I, I think you could you could potentially read it that way. But I think it feels made for a young audience. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully their parents would enjoy it as well. Nice. That is Hello God, It's Me, Margaret. Thank you both for your wit and wisdom on that. Now let's turn our attention to a very different film. Or is it? But one which has also been doing well with the critics. In French-Cambodian director Davy Chu's Return to Seoul, first-time actor Park Ji-min plays Freddie, a French woman in her mid-twenties who was adopted at birth from South Korea. We meet her in Seoul on her first visit to the city since her adoption. The film tracks headstrong Freddie's headfirst dive into a culture not her own. We see her ride roughshod over conventions, stare into the eyes of strangers, hook up with doting boys and arms dealers twice her age. But has she come to play or to find where she came from? Return to Seoul made the shortlist of best international feature films at this year's Oscars and it's been commended for its ambitious, messy portrayal of identity and adoption. But what do our critics think? Um, Simran... I loved this film. I thought it was... I never quite knew where it was going. It was a wonderful thing. Let's talk about that kind of mesmeric performance from Park Ji-min as Freddie. She's got a huge amount to do in this film, right? Yeah, tell us a little bit about the atmosphere of Return to Soul. So the film's vibe, if I can, if I can call mm. it a vibe, which it feels like a vibe to me, is very moody, very sexy, feels quite French, feels very existential. So the, the sort of structure of the film plays out over these three different chapters. So we start with Freddie, the main character, landing in Seoul at age 25, kind of accidentally there. She's there for two weeks and then she decides on that trip to try and reconnect with her birth parents. And then she does, she eventually reconnects with her dad. And then we jump forward in time a couple of years and she's back. She's working for a kind of, I think she's a consultant, but she's got some kind of high-powered job. She's leaning into her sexuality and her sexual identity more and she's kind of figuring out who she is. And then we jump forward again another couple of years and she's in a serious relationship and she's in a different stage of her life. And each time we return forgive me, we return to Seoul with her. She's kind of 
uncovered a new aspect of her identity. And yeah, I think that that Park Jimin is incredible in this film. I could mm. not believe it. it was a debut performance. She's so magnetic and unpredictable and sexy and changeable. And yeah, I think like as a woman going through an identity crisis, as somebody who is being kind of fetishized because she has got quite like a strong sexual presence as well by both the white French men in her life who exoticize her, but also the Korean men who she meets who sort of find that she disrupts their cultural expectations as well. I think the film is really delicate on on how that makes her feel and the weirdness um, that she feels about how how she's perceived by everyone around her. Beautifully put. Yeah, it, all of those things. And there's such a lot of sort of stimulants in this film, aren't there, Tim? There's some great scenes of like of her dancing on her own in bars and clubs, there's some artificial stimulants, there's sex, there's this wonderful atmosphere and vibe that Simran's talking about. There's a lot of mood. Oh, there certainly is, and so much style. I mean, we were talking yeah. about the kind of conservatism of the other film style. This is so fluid and dynamic and kind of liberated in its style. It keeps jumping around. Uh, it, I think French is exactly the, the right kind of way to place it because it does feel like it could be... It's perhaps influenced by people like Claire Denis, maybe, mm. maybe Mere Hansen Love, in terms of that fluidity. I just was sort of mesmerised from the word go. There's a beautiful scene right near the beginning where Freddie is sitting in a, a restaurant in Seoul with these new friends she's just found. And just everything the camera was doing, it would just kind of slightly reframe or re-rack and um, we would have some something else would be going on behind in the kind of blurred background. The colours were so beautiful. The soundtrack is great, just all the, the sort of sizzling of the food and then the music and everything. There's just so much going on in here. And I do think a lot of it is going on in her face as well. There's the sort mm. of all these flickers of kind of quite sullen emotion coming up and down. And she, she kind of sparks off people and you can see her really kind of opening up in people's company, like the friend she meets in the first scene, who's just the kind of hotel receptionist in this yeah. where she's staying. Soon becomes she her becomes friend. her best friend yeah. in Seoul, essentially. But you can sort of see her fascinated with this person and sort of just intrigued by her and wanting to get close to her. And then later on in the scenes with the dad, which become quite prominent in the film. Uh, her, he's, it's a, he's brilliant. He it, is he? brilliant, but her sort of anger and abandonment yeah. feelings around him are, are very important. And it's never the case that she just totally shuts down and becomes inexpressive. She kind of puts herself in her own little clamshell where we still sort of see her kind of seething in there. And I think it's a brilliant performance. And I really love... I mean, I'm, again, not having been an 11-year-old girl, I wasn't in a great position to fully <laughs> empathise with the last film and never having been adopted, but it's the same as true with this, but it made me think in totally new ways about what it must feel like to be adopted. That is the main subject of the film, I would say, and all of the kind of sense that those those abandonment issues that she suddenly is grappling with, which manifests in various ways, and you can see she's become quite kind of uh, leaning on alcohol a lot, and she has she has a lot of kind of stuff that she's grappling with mm. and she meets her dad who's also an alcoholic uh, and there's this strange kinship between them which she's very nervous about you know exploring uh, and the mother refuses to have anything to do with her which uh, at least for most of the film yeah which uh, again cr creates even more problems for her yeah who does she take after yeah there's a really interesting line quite early on in the film where they're sort of she's mainly speaking in french she can't speak korean at the beginning of the film and one of her korean friends says that when you say, I want to see this person, it translates as, I miss this person. So they mean the same thing in their language. And so I think that the whole film kind of pivots on, on that idea and how there's a tension for Freddie in, this, in that phrase because she's curious about her parents and she does want to see them, but does she miss them, you know? Yeah, and yeah. 
is there something in her that's missing because she missed out on the relationship with them? And can she really miss something that she's never known or never really wanted or never asked for? And I think the film is grappling with those questions. Okay, yeah. And I, I love the nuance that she doesn't even go out there with the intention of tracking down her her birth parents, so, well, she so, she said. Says. so she says, but it's sort of a, it seems like an accident. And mm. it's actually one of her friends telling her about this adoption clinic at the Hammond Centre. And she's like, you could go and, and chase them up. And mm. she seems sort of semi-reluctant. The, the reluctance of it is very interesting to me as well. Those scenes where she's in the adoption agency with the very patient women who are, who are manning it and who are the, I guess, who are the sort of in between and, and who write telegrams to the to the birth parents so archaic those scenes are i suppose they are about dislocation and they're so quiet and they're so spare and they're so patiently performed i think they're quite moving i found those hugely moving as you see um freddie's face change from a, this and a sort of a ready-made french abruptness the difference between her and being a young french woman in seoul perhaps to being a kind of lonely young woman, I suppose, and you see that, you wonder whether where her desire lays and where, how keen she is to sort of see this through. I found those really beautiful. They are great. As you say, it's a, it is maybe just about adoption. This, that, this I guess that's one of the main things. And it yeah. has a sort of almost a semi-documentary aspect. I was convinced the way that this place was being described, that this must be a real thing, that this, this particular place, the Hammond Centre, I don't know if it was in fact just mm. invented for this film's script. But, um, lots of similar places. There are lots of similar places yeah. and I just think it, it really kind of taps into that. I know that the director based the film on a friend of hers, didn't he? Mm. A Korean friend mm. who went through a similar thing and he kind of talked to her and went to Seoul with her and explored all of that. I was just going to say that I think that the the adoption theme gives a really interesting parallel with the kind of cultural identity as well because it's thinking about what do we claim and what do we reject in terms of our history, in terms of how we see ourselves. So there are moments when she wants to claim her Frenchness more and moments when she wants to reject it, moments when she feels like she is not happy to claim her Korean identity and other moments when she feels actually maybe that's close to how she really is. And I think you see that mirrored in how she feels about being a adopted and, and that being her kind of central trauma sometimes she wants to accept that and sometimes she rejects it she yeah. even does that to the point of rudeness with the the whole c- custom where you're not allowed to pour yourself a drink yes. at the table in Korea and she's like no I'm going to pour myself a drink thanks very much and yeah yeah that kind of tips us off about so many things about her at once we start with that don't yeah. we in that in that funny sort of late night bar yeah. um yeah and, and as you say Simran that that sort of lost it those lost in translation moments are, are super important there are lots of scenes which are which are quite long and played out where we we hear the same thing said in French in English and in Korean and we can spot the difference in the way that there's a sort of politesse to the way that it's translated to the father for example or the mother-in-law in Korean and how it's translated back into French that there is a lot of there's I guess a lot of pent-up emotion and the protection of, of Freddie or her father or some of the other members of the family from her real desires or lack of desires to be with them, I suppose. And that's why it's such a great film, right? Yeah. Because you have the, the difference in language playing out in mm, the subtitles exactly. that we can see the characters, yeah. we can see their body language, we can see their expressions, we can see their emotion. And we're having to gauge whether they know hints of what she's saying or not. They know any words of English or whatever. And, you know, you're sort of judging that... With each scene, there's so many layers in each scene dramatically in terms of like what people are understanding. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's really well done. It's super subtle. It's very controlled, but there is a bit like a documentary where you leave the camera running to see what people's reactions sort of really are when their faces relax or they're off guard. I felt like some of the scenes were almost played like that in a drama. It, mm. it felt really beautiful and real, and I love all that vibe. I love the music. It's, it's a whole vibe. 
It totally it, felt like yeah. weak and soul. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great movie and, and, you know, don't mistake the way that we're talking about it for thinking that it's in any way slow. I think it feels really propulsive. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I really love this film. Beautiful. That is Return to Soul. The director is Davy Chu with a wonderful central performance from Park Ji Min in her debut performance. Can you believe it? No one can. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Simran Hands and Tim Roby. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chung-Gu. And Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.